Hello, and a very warm welcome to Tales of a Starry Night, a stories and science podcast on the wonders of the night sky. Today we are discussing the Big Dipper, perhaps the best-known asterism of the Northern Hemisphere. In Europe, it is also known as the Plough or the Wagon. In France, we often call it the Great Saucepan. An asterism is simply a striking group of stars, like the seven stars of the Big Dipper, that all shine with comparable magnitude. Four for the ball, three for the handle. Other examples of asterism are the W or the M formed by some of the stars of the constellation of Cassiopeia across the North Pole from the Big Dipper, or the three stars of Orion's belt. You might know that the Big Dipper is part of the larger constellation of Ursa Major, the Great Bear. The deepest ball formed the bear's hindquarters, and its handle the bear's somewhat elongated tail. Ursa Major, however, stretches much further across the sky, with the bear's muzzle as far from the deepest ball as the tip of its tail, and its long legs stretching below. I encourage you to check the image in the show notes and see if you can spot the whole of the great bear on a dark, clear night. The great bear was part of a catalogue of 48 constellations compiled by the Greek astronomer Ptolemy in 150 AD and is part of the 88 modern constellations recognized by the International Astronomical Union. Rather than the patterns of stars they originated from, constellations are now defined as an area of the sky that allows astronomers to describe the locations of celestial objects. Returning to ancient Greece, there is of course a story accounting for the presence of a bear in the sky. Zeus, the head of the Greek gods, often travelled the earth, and one of the days when he walked the hills of Greece was particularly beautiful. The murmur of the springs was louder, the song of the streams more joyous, the greens of the grasses and foliage more vibrant. Callisto, the most beautiful, a nymph dedicated to Artemis, the goddess of the hunt, had been hunting all morning, and as the sun reached its zenith, she set down her javelin, laid down her quiver and bow, and went to rest on soft moss in the shade of a hidden thicket. But Zeus saw her, asleep and slender in her thin hunting robes. He fell in love and lay beside her, and when she woke up startled by his embrace, she could not resist his strength. Months later, as it became obvious she was with child, she could no longer remain in the company of chast Artemis and her hunting companions. She was left to wander the forest alone, and eventually gave birth to a healthy little boy, Arcas. From Olympus, Zeus's consort Hera saw this and became enraged, so enraged that she came down to earth and confronted her rival. Callisto begged for mercy. She had a child to look after, and she wasn't guilty. She never asked for it. But under the wrathful gaze of the goddess, she fell down on all fours, black hair spread over her white limbs, her hands lengthened into feet, claws sprouted from her fingers, her teeth grew sharp, her speech became a growl. Callisto was a bear, and she had to leave her son. 
She was chased from the woods she once knew into deeper, wilder forests and higher hills. She grew weary of the hunters that once had been her friends. Arcas, the sun, had grown. A childless man had found him in the forest, and he and his wife nursed him as their son. He grew into a comely youth and a skilled hunter, and as he travelled the forest, there came the fateful day when he came across his mother. She knew him straight away, and forgetting her shape, made a move towards him. Arcas, frightened at the sight, drew back and raised his javelin. But Zeus, repentant perhaps, did not permit the son to harm the mother. He caused a mighty wind to blow and to carry Arcas and Callisto all the way to the sky, wherefrom they shine to this day. Later authors have written that Zeus turned the youth into a bear also and swung the animals by their tails, which got elongated in the process. Hera, however, was still outraged, and even more so, because now she could see her rival was glorified to be thus in the sky. So she ran to Oceanos and Thetis, masters of the waters, of the seas and the oceans, and they agreed that the seven stars would never touch the sea, so Callisto could never bathe in its pure water, nor drink to calm down her thirst. So Callisto and her son Arcas, the great bear and the little bear, Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, ended up in the sky. The stars of the little bear form a scale down deeper, so it is also known as the little dipper. At the end of its tail, or its sandal, is Polaris, the current pole star. The two end stars of the big dipper's ball, Dubé, the bear, and Merak, the flank, point towards it. The closeness of the Big Dipper to the North Celestial Pole means that for latitudes higher than 41 degrees north, and so at UK latitudes, it is currently a circumpolar asterism. It travels around the pole and is always visible at night. It never rises nor sets. It can also be used to indicate the north. At mid-European latitudes, it can appear quite high in the sky, but always on the north side of the zenith and Homer describes how Odysseus used the bear to navigate from the island of Calypso eastwards to Ithaca. Here I quote from Book 5 of the Odyssey. Then she, Calypso, conjured the warm land breeze to blowing, joy for Odysseus when he shook out sail. Now the great seaman, leaning on his oar, steered all the night and sleeping in his eyes, picked out the Pleiades, the laggard ploughman, and the great bear that some have called the Wayne, pivoting in the sky before Orion. Of all the night's clear figures, she alone would never bathe or dip in the ocean stream. These stars, the beautiful Calypso bade him, hold on his left hand as he crossed the main. So Odysseus, kept the stars of the bear to his left. He sailed east, keeping the bear and north on his left. I became very aware of the Big Dipper and of its nine-time movements in my early teens when spending a night in a mountain hut of the Swiss Alps. 
With the altitude, the crowd and the excitement, I couldn't sleep and ended up visiting the outside toilet a few times in the night. The sky was clear, the stars brighter than I ever saw them. And as the night progressed, I noticed how the Big Dipper swung anti-clockwise around the pole star, just like the hand of a clock. In Beyond the Blue Horizon, a book I have quoted in previous episodes, Edwin Krupp mentions that Bernard II, a mescalero Apache, used the Big Dipper for timing songs for ceremonies at night, and he called it the Indian Watch. The orientation of the Big Dipper at sunset also depends on the season, so that the asterism can also be used as a calendar. This is echoed in a hunt story from the Mi'kmaq people of Nova Scotia. A cycle begins late in the spring. As the bear wakes from her long winter sleep, she yawns and stretches her gaunt body, blinks at the dappled light filtering through to the forest floor, as she exists her den and set off unsteadily in search of food. Sharp-eyed Chickadee spots her first and raises a party of seven hunters. Robin takes the lead, followed by Chickadee and Moosebird. Then a little further behind come Pigeon, Blue Jay, the large owl and so wet, a small owl with bright plumage on its head. The hunters are hungry after the winter's short rations, but so is the bear, and she is light and fast as she regains her strength. The hunting seed stretches across the night sky. The four paws of the bear are the ball of the dipper. The robin is Alioth, the first star of the handle. Chickadee is Mizar, the middle star of the handle. And its companion, Alcor, is the cooking pot the hunter carries. Moosebird is Al-Qaeda, the third star of the handle. The other hunters are stars from the constellation we know as Bootes, the herdsman, the plowman in the text from Homer. And notably, Owl is Arcturus, the fourth brightest star in the sky. In May, looking north around 9pm, the bear is high up by the zenith. Her den The half-circle of Corona Borealis, the northern crown, is behind her in the east, and she is followed by the seven hunters. Each night, she travels further around the pole, swinging down from the west and past the autumn equinox, she appears closest to the northern horizon, again towards 9pm. That's when some of the hunters begin to drop out. The larger birds... So wet and owl first, then blue jay and pigeon also lose the trail, as the stars they represent dip below the horizon at sunset. Robin, chickadee and moose bird keep on the chase, however, and close in on the bear. She rears up on her hind feet to defend herself, but Robin is quick. He pierces her with an arrow, and she falls on her back. In his haste to satisfy his hunger, Robin jumps upon his victim and gets covered in blood. Robin then flies to a nearby maple tree and shakes his feathers out, spattering the bear's blood far and wide upon the forests of the earth, and so each autumn the foliage tints blood red. Robin couldn't clean himself fully and remained red-breasted ever since. In the meantime, Chickadee has lit a fire and begins to cook the meat. Moosebird also joins in the feast, 
and the three hunters thanked the great animal for the gift of its meat. The bear is dead, and its skeleton lies on its back in the sky. But this is not the end of the story. The live spirit of the bear has entered another bear, who sleeps her winter sleep back in the den, so that when spring returns and Corona Borealis is once more visible at sunset, the grand hunt begins anew. This fascinating account gives us a glimpse of those people's observational knowledge, astronomical but also ecological here with the description of the birds, and there was probably many more details in the original story. And this gives us a glimpse of how this knowledge could be encoded in stories to be shared and spread in the absence of writing. Various North American tribes connect the stars of the Dipper to a bear, perhaps because they behave like one, leaving their den in the spring and never setting, so never dying, like the bear always waking from its mysterious seasonal sleep. The stars of the Big Dipper are not always associated with a bear, however. As I mentioned, it's been called the plough or the wagon, but often also the seven stars represent seven animals or seven people. In India, they are the septa rishi, the seven rishi, the seven wise men. Here is a story from the Mahabharata about the wise men and their beautiful wives. In the beginning, there was water everywhere and the Brahman slept on this water. Then from the water emerged a golden egg, and Vishnu, in the form of Brahma, was born inside this egg. For one year he lived in the egg, then the egg split into two, and Brahma created the heaven and the earth from those two pieces. Then skies, directions, time, language and senses were created, both in heaven and earth. Then from the power of his mind, Brahma gave birth to seven great sages, the seven rishi, guardians of the sacred scriptures. They can be seen in the night sky. The seven sages, in their devotion, often performed ceremonies in honor of the gods, and Agni, the god of fire, was always invoked and descended from the regions of the sun to receive the gifts of the rishis and carry them to the gods. However, in doing so one day, he saw the wives of the Rishi bathing in their own cottages. They were so beautiful. They shone like golden altars, like spotless slivers of the moon, like rays of sacrificial fires, like marvelous stars. As Agni saw the wives of the Rishi, his heart went out to them, his senses became agitated. He was in the power of desire. Yet he knew his desires were not proper, and so he entered the household fire to be in their presence and constantly look upon them. But this did nothing to stop his desire. His desire remained unquenched, and as he was getting more and more miserable, he fled into the forest. There, Swaha was spying upon him. She was the daughter of Daksha and was desperately in love with him. But so far, she had failed in finding a weak point in him. 
but there she saw him, tortured by desire, the way she herself was, and thought she could satisfy their desires by taking on the appearance of the wives of the Rishi. And so, in another's appearance, she approached Agni. Lord Agni, she said, here I am, Siva, the wife of Angiras, tortured with love for you. Do love me in return or consider me dead. I come to you following the advice of the other wives of the seven Rishi, but I must return soon. How do you and the other wives know of my distress? asked Agni. But then he could not resist his desire any more and made love to her there and then with great intensity. Then in order not to be seen in the guise of Siva, for fear the blameless wife be wrongly accused, Svaha took the form of a colourful bird and flew high up to the white mountain. There she dropped Agni's semen in a golden lake. Then, five times she returned to the forest, assuming the form of the other wives to satisfy her desire and that of Agni. Then five times she took the shape of a colourful bird and flew up to the white mountain to drop Agni's semen in the golden lake. Yet she was unable to take the form of Arundhati, the wife of Vasishta, on account of her great ascetic merit and deep devotion to her husband. Soon after these events, high up in the golden lake, a new life stirred. The child born from Agni's semen was very powerful indeed. He had six faces, twelve ears, as many eyes, hands, feet, and one neck and one stomach. And when this fearful being was born, various kinds of fearful phenomena occurred. The natures of male and female, hot and cold, and such pairs of contraries were reversed. The firmament planets and cardinal points became radiant with light, and the earth began to rumble. The rishis themselves observed those terrible prodigies and sought to restore the balance and tranquility of the universe. Then rumors came from the forest. Rumors said that all this was caused by Agni, loving the rishi's wives. And upon hearing this, the six rishi divorced their wives, who can now be seen away from them in the night sky. Other rumors talked about a colorful bird, and Sfaha herself told the rishis again and again that the sun was hers, but it did not change their mind. Only Arundhati remained with her husband, and if you have keen eyes, you can see them both together in the sky. Vasishta, the husband, is Mizar, the star in the middle of the handle of the dipper, and she is its companion, Alcor. Remember in the Micmac story, Chikdi was Mizar and the cooking pot was its small companion, Alcor. The other wives of the Rishi formed the star cluster known as the Pleiades. And at the autumn equinox and UK latitudes, they are not yet visible at sunset, but rise around 9pm. They will be the focus 
of our next episode. So that's it for this time. Thank you very much for listening. If you liked this podcast, please share it. If you have any comments, please do not hesitate to get in touch. Happy stargazing, and until next time, goodbye.